Okay, Tyrants are met in city limits, and here we are. And I came over the Tyrants are on a push bike. And how did you get here, by the way, Meg? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I had to drive. What, was, what, what? It was awful. Now I know why everyone is complaining about the traffic in Melbourne. I had what? to cross Hoddle Street, infamous Hoddle Street, oh, no, at a level no. crossing. Oh. Train nearly ran me down. Oh. And then no Bloody one public was, transport. Gets on the way, doesn't it? Oh, so annoying. It's when I'm in my car, I just want cars to have priority. <laughs> and when you're um, on your bike, you want bikes to have priority. When you're a pedestrian, <laughs> yeah, you want pedestrians to have priority. priority. That's right. When yeah. you're on public transport, you want public transport. Just all operate around whatever mode of transport I'm <laughs> exactly, using. Exactly. <laughs> but I have for years. I've worked that out. In fact, I don't. I haven't driven for years. But when you when I used to drive regularly. And when I ride a bike or when I'm a pedestrian, you have a totally different at- attitude to yeah. other forms of transport around you. It's true. Yeah, it's always really frustrating yes, when I'm riding a bike and there's cars everywhere, you know, people being stressed in cars. Yeah, I'm going to pull some tea with you. Yes. And that was me this morning as a right. person being stressed in a car. Well, coming up Smith Street on my bike, it was very heavy traffic on Smith Street this morning. And it does okay. vary week to week. It's <laughs> that, that argument that, you know, if it's crowded one day, next day they avoid it. and then Oh, and then it's... Uh, f- okay, so yeah. tomorrow will be fine. It should then. be, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's... Um, it works that way. But anyway, that's, ah. that's the go. And it is the third Wednesday of the month. That was Meg Kim, by the way, and I'm Kevin Healy, and it is City Limits. And um, we're um, on the third Wednesday, which is Housing Day, and we're going to talk to two people about housing. We've got Sue Bolton, the Socialist Alliance um, councillor from Moreland, who's going to update us on the campaign around uh, saving public housing from privatisation, which is an ongoing campaign we've talked about and lots of programs are talking about, which is great. Mm. Um, and um, we're also going to talk to two about a, a, a land bank um, approach that Moreland's got to providing land for housing. But there are some complications with that, which we'll talk to her about. Uh, complications mainly arising out of some people wanting it not to be public housing but to be private housing, which mm. is a bit ordinary, but still sure we'll set it straight on that one. Where's Moreland again? Which well, suburbs? It's, um, it's Brunswick, Coburg, oh, yep. Pesco Valley, covers an area in that yep. part of the world. Yep. Um, and um, of course, you're from Tassie, aren't you? That's right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, there might be we, other listeners from Tassie. To, that's as that's well. right. I have no yeah. idea. No yeah. idea. That's right. We'll never know. <laughs> I mentioned guns on the week that was last night. By Did the way. you? Well, I, I related guns controlling America to how guns used to control Tasmania. So there's a sort <laughs> yeah. of connection. Okay. Did you yeah. ever see the um, bumper the, the bumper sticker that said uh, guns are dangerous in the wrong hands, <laughs> but guns spelt like no, the company? I didn't, but yeah, no, that was I a didn't, good one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and. Um, and Sue's also going to, she is part of a, um, a social, she's in the Socialist Alliance, but this is a group that's got together with um, Steve Jolly, the Socialist Councillor in Yarra, and um, Sue and Socialist Alliance, and I think it's Socialist Alternative, the other mm. group, uh, Socialist Objective, the other group, perhaps they call themselves now, yep. um, and um, they're, they're running candidates in Northwestern or Northern Metropolitan in the Upper House uh, with Steve top of the ticket, so we'll oh. get a bit of a background on that as well. Cool. And um, Shane McGrath from Housing with the Age Action Group is coming in also in the last half of the show and he'll talk oh, cool. about housing issues, including a number of issues I know he wants to talk about. So okay. that's housing today. Cool. Um, and before we get there, have you got anything you wanted to raise while I take a sip of tea here? Oh, I didn't come prepared. Not prepared? No. Dro- drove a car and not prepared. <laughs> 
Well, that's what threw me. The whole time I was driving, I thought if I had my bike, I would have had a leisurely morning. I wouldn't have been driving for an hour to get here because I'm house sitting at the moment, so I'm uh, further away than you. Right, right, yeah. okay. Well, but so you you always have all the news. You've read all the things. <laughs> that's just passing the bucket. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Next time. Usually I, when, I, when I, I'm more prepared, I get in here early and I look at the, the Finn review that's in the... On, on the drawers in the mm. kitchen here. Yep. And I think, okay, I'm prepared now. Right, I know what's it. going That's on. Right. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Well, speaking of the Finn Review, you'll be pleased to hear. Because <laughs> um, I think we all know that um, that unions and people like us really don't care about the community. It's great to know that yeah. there is someone caring about the community and it's the business sector of this society. Ah, that's who uh, it is. Expressed by Jennifer Westercott, the uh, Chief Executive of the Business Council of Australia, on Monday, she was talking on a radio show in Perth, and she was arguing that we really have, you know, we simply must have these tax cuts for business. But but her <laughs> argument, but but it's not because they they want the tax cuts for themselves; it's because it's so good for the people of Australia. Yeah, um, right. So that I want you to I want you to get that clear. I don't want you to feel, you know, that. Okay. But she um, she says um, she's depressed at business bashing. Um, <laughs> and it needs to stop. If you want, if you want to bash up on business, we're going to bash our future. Oh. And she's, by the way, heading off with Malcolm and a whole group of business people, most of whom are in the hundred, the top hundred, haven't paid any taxes, uh-huh. including Alan Joyce from Qantas, oh, uh, heading yeah. off with Malcolm and a few state premiers, etc., to sell Australia in the US while Malcolm's over there. So oh. they'll certainly sell it in terms of making it better for all of us because that's all they care about. So, yeah, yeah, well, I did see that there that a Tourism Australia has launched in America during the Super Bowl and a multi-million dollar tourism yeah, campaign yeah, right. targeted specifically at US citizens. So yeah. I don't that seems like a lot of money to spend to convince people to come to Australia. Although with Trump as uh, president they might be glad to leave the they country. They might just be yeah, yeah they yeah. might just have just spontaneously have done that we could have saved all those millions of dollars in, tur- in tourism. They could be glad to leave the country if they get here and turn up and find Turnbull of course. Yeah. Um, well, as long as they don't come by boat, then yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, they <laughs> wouldn't get in. They wouldn't have ended up on Nauru, all these yanks yeah. on Nauru, yeah, and yeah. Manus Island. Um, although being yanks, they probably wouldn't have to go there, of course. Mm. Anyway, um, uh, Jennifer said, we are basically forgetting the future of the people we are talking about is not the future of the people sitting on those boardroom tables. It's the future of the person working in the hardware store, working in the supermarket, working on the airline, serving you in a restaurant and running their corner store. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful sentiment that yes. is, don't you think? That's some really stirring rhetoric. Yeah, they're most of the areas where people get ripped off at a great rate, by the way. Mm, but um, mm-hmm. but the, I'm sure she's out to stop that as well. Mm. Um, and uh, on the company tax thing, just you know, the, just because it's the big push in this particular paper again, um, Scott Morrison says they're, they're, they're responsible. He's defended it as a fiscally responsible because the Reserve Bank said it could worsen the budget. But um, anyway, he denies that. And another, we might mention it later in housing, also um, asked why he'd had this report from the um, Treasury for three or four years that uh, ne- that negative gearing wouldn't create the disaster that they claimed Labor's policy would. Yeah. He said... That uh, while he respects Treasury, it was his own point of view, and that's why he didn't come out to say it. So. 
<laughs> there you are. It's okay. Good to know. And on the on the basis of those people who serve you at the supermarket and restaurants, etc., um, the places, the ones who clean it up after they go home, um, Woolworths has been implicated in widespread. We know this happened last year, but it's happened again. Underpayment oh. of contracted cleaners oh. after almost all its supermarkets in Tasmania oh. were found to have been involved in breaches of workplace laws. Oh. Um, a Fair Work Ombudsman investigation identified non-compliance at 90% of Woolworths' 31 supermarkets in the state, with cleaners oh. paid as little as $7 an hour oh. for training and just 14 an hour for work. And it goes on and on, but again, it's just people being ripped oh, off at no. a great rate. I'll but have they're to gonna, read that they, later. Yeah, That's awful. Woolworths said the company would continue to work closely with the FWO as we incorporate enhanced management of our cleaning contractors throughout Australia. It's really about subcontracting out. Ugh. and. The contract says the subcontractor must do the work, but they're subcontracting and it goes down the yeah. line. So at the bottom, the poor bloody worker gets nothing. Yeah, but this is exactly how they sort of like um, separate, like big companies separate themselves from the actual effects of the, the where their labour comes from. Like you see yeah. with like overseas labour and, and all that, yeah. yeah, and then they're then they're like, oh well, we don't know, you know, if it, if they're made in sweatshops because mm. you know we out, mm. we outsource, we contract out to some other people. Yes, it's a really right. clever right. way of just avoiding responsibility. Well, even farm labourers and fruit pickers these days, are, you know, they yeah. come from higher companies, so the the farmer can deny yeah. any responsibility for the yeah. low pay, etc. Yeah. yeah. And there's a bloke called Craig Hutchison, you might know. He he does a footy show on Channel 9, or he did, I don't know if he still does. You know um, what, I don't really but know. He's, well, he's, I, no, Channel right. 9 and footy are neither, neither well, of my interests. He's really, he's the most boring, boring interviewer anyway, <laughs> and, and he's, you know, know-all. But he runs he runs the SEN radio network. Um, okay. And he, he, a couple of years ago, he was sprung um, not just underpaying workers inadvertent it's always inadvertent but of inadvertently course. underpaying he was inadvertently paying them nothing <laughs> not a cent for internships or something yeah all internships but he had them on you know virtually working full time for ages <gasps> and, he got, and he got sprung on it oh. uh, well now a number of people are suing him for $980,837 uh, now these are more highly paid but they're, they're broadcasters whom he's sacked because he keeps sacking them apparently uh, and they're, they're claiming money for their contract etc so well, Let's hope poor old Craig doesn't have to pay that out. Well, gosh. Well, well you know, yeah. you could almost buy a house in Melbourne for that price. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Who want to keep that money? <laughs> so, uh, poor old Craig, you feel sorry for him, don't you? Um, so, I just thought I'd mention that. Now, this one's interesting because other people are doing it anyway. But up in, we know that in, particularly in other countries, well, I mean, here we know, we've talked many times, we've talked to... Uh, uh, people about um, rehabilitating mines and the damage that yeah. mines do even here in Australia and how environmental damage is caused, even yep. though we've got much stronger environmental laws than many countries where these companies operate overseas. Yeah. where they And they only, you know, they always work just just within the boundaries of whatever laws are around. So if, they yeah. do, if they're allowed to pollute madly, they do. Mm. And PNG is unfortunately an area where we know there's mines there and in West Papua, which is part of, should mm. be part of PNG anyway, um, where mines are causing incredible damage. Mm. Uh, but the um, a mine at um, Wafu Golpu project in PNG is a 2.6 billion US dollar project, so it's a big one. Mm. And the company Newcrest Mining feels 
that deep sea disposal of mine waste has a lot going in its favour and would be a cheaper way to handle waste at the company's next major goal, etc., etc. These Um, things always make me feel stressed. Management of mine wastes or tailings is one of the major issues being considered under the study, with Newcrest yet to decide whether to build a terrestrial tailings dam on land near the mine or pipe the waste out to sea, as it currently does at its Lahir mine in PNG. And there's other mines in PNG that are actually pumping them out to sea anyway already. Uh, but they claim that you know, on land you can have accidents like the one in uh, Brazil, the Samarco, um, was a result of a tailings dam which, you know, which hadn't been maintained anyway. And that yeah. was the problem. They were warned it was going to happen. Yeah. Um, but I suppose you know, the problem is they shouldn't really go anywhere. I mean, <gasps> um, but no. but uh, pumping them out to sea, it's as if, you know, the, it's if like the, you know, the sea is just uh, okay, you can pump it there and nothing's yeah. going to happen. No, the sea life will be of, safe. Uh, yeah. There's no broader ecosystem issues or anything. Yeah, like if you can't see the waste, then it just doesn't exist. Like, it's not really how it works. Well, you can see it at times because I I went up, I mentioned in the program before, I went up on what was a particularly quixotic campaign to stop the Bougainville mine in 1969 when I got very angry at what Australians were doing, bulldozing people literally out of their village to to allow Rio Tinto or then Consing Rio Tinto to build a mine. Yeah. And we drank out of a river up there called the Java River um, mm. at the top of the mountain. It was really humid, turned to be humid conditions, mm. but this crystal clear cold water, quite beautiful. And within a month of getting back, uh, or be, no, not a month of getting back, within a month of the mine actually opening and operating, mm. there was a photo in our local paper, in the local press here in Australia, of the Java River where it went out to sea. And it was just a viscous sludge for oh. about 200 metres out. And this is, you know, the subsistence living dependent on the river, dependent on the yeah. sea. Um, they just don't care. That's so sad. But thankfully, and after my, my, um, maybe slightly even patronising effort, uh, <laughs> the people of Bougainville themselves sorted it out a few years later and Did got rid they? of the, Well, it's still Brilliant. closed. It's been closed for a number of years, but they okay. had a war over it. But uh, yeah, and they now moved to reopen it, but hopefully reopen it on the basis of uh, what the people there want and not. I hope so, because it takes a lot of work to bring a river back that's been trashed. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. right. Um, So that's Mm. that. But the and the other one on the um, back on the land again, a new farm has been given permission in Australia to sell for human consumption and animal feed. Genetically modified omega three canola. Oh, I'm no. pleased to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, they, here we go. I thought GM was not allowed, or is it just in certain states in Australia? Well, I, I think that. it's supposed to be banned in various. But yeah, it, but but they've given approval for this now, and unfortunately, mm. part of the research, um, the subsidiary New Seed developed omega three in canola in collaboration with the CSIRO and the Pharma Levy funded Grains Research and Development Corporation. Um, so you've got a, a government body, in fact, assisting in the bloody development of this stuff, actually. And, and they, yeah. you know, the argument for it is that uh, where people now have to catch fish to get omega, etc., and uh, this can save all these fish because you're going to get much more of it in these wonderful um, canola. So isn't that good? Oh, I can't even begin to where to think where to comment on that. No, no, <laughs> I, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> so oh, there we dear. are. Look, let's um, we just cheer people up no end. Housing, <laughs> housing day always does cheer people up no end, so that's yeah. terrific. Let's get I'm Sue cheered. Bolton on the line, and yeah. uh, we'll take a quick break and take come a back with um, give her a call. with Sue. Yeah, okay. okay. 
Okay, and uh, Sue Bolton on the line. Sue, you on the line there? Hi, yes, I am. Um, Sue, um, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed this morning. I um, got here this morning and then discovered that Meg had driven a car here, and you, you're in a car, you had to pull over. <laughs> this is this is disgusting. We both got stuck at level crossings. That's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> That's oh, right. I think this is your last appearance on City Limits, Sue. Um, <laughs> but let's get serious. Sue Bolton, of course, I mentioned the introduction of the show, but Sue is the Socialist Alliance uh, councillor in Moreland. And, um, and indeed, Meg's from Tasmania, but you don't feel bad about this, but Meg said to me, where is Moreland? Uh, <laughs> well, I knew the general area, but I was just checking. <laughs> anyway, Sue, the, the campaign, a lot of programs here and... Um, have been involved in updating people on the current campaign to stop the government privatising public transport, but where's it at at the moment? Public transport or public oh, sorry, housing? Sorry, public housing, public housing. Excuse well, me. Well, basically what's happening is um, that last year a new sort of network called the Public Housing Defence Network was set up, and I think that was a very important step for the campaign. And... What this campaign is doing is it's hosting meetings on some of the estates where we've got contracts um, and doing door knocking on on the estates because what's happening at the moment is the Department of Housing is has employed lots of extra staff to go around the housing estates and convince tenants to uh, sign relocation agreements. And that their motives in that is to really try and get people out of the estates as fast as possible. Now, we understand there's a couple of estates where we don't have such solid contacts where they've managed to convince a lot of tenants to leave the estates. And it's a big problem because there are a lot of tenants who will have signed those relocation agreements who think that they'll have a right to come back um, when the um, after the uh, slats are pulled down and rebuilt, but there's no guarantee. If you read the fine print of these relocation agreements, there is no guarantee people will be allowed back. And um, I think it's particularly scurrilous that the minister Martin Foley um, has produced um, not only on his website but fridge magnets. Uh, to give to every tenant, which basically pledges that people will be allowed to return, that it will be public housing when people return, et cetera, et cetera. Now, that pledge is not worth the magnet it's written on um, because, you know, a lot of people will not be able to return because the number of bedrooms will be reduced from three bedrooms to um, one and two bedrooms. Uh, and so in the Grand Place estate in West Brunswick, there'll only be something like five three-bedroom flats after the renewal, whereas at the moment there's something like 48 three-bedroom flats. Yeah, so and, we've talked about it before, but where the government mm-hmm. says there'll be more public housing, there, that's an obfuscation because there'll be less less uh, actual beds or rooms in public housing, so there, it's a real reduction. That's right. And then the government also says when you say, well where the family is going to go, where, where, you know, why won't they be allowed to return? And you point out this reduction in bedroom size. Then they say, oh, but we're going to create, put doors in between the units 
so that we can, so that um, you can join uh, one and two bedroom flats or open up a door between the one and two bedroom flats so that families will still be allowed to return. Now, if you think about that logically, that would mean if they do that, mm. that that would reduce the number of well social housing units um, that would be um, replaced in these privatised developments. Um, and then the other part of their pledge is also untrue, and that is that there's no guarantee this will be public housing on people's return. In fact, it is pretty much 100% unlikely it will be public housing. It will be community housing association-run housing. And for people, and, just for people, background of people who mightn't be up, caught up with the issue, there's about, I think it's 11, isn't it? there might even be 13 estates across Melbourne that are affected, but also they're being developed by, a, by the private sector and they, there'll be a mix of private and public, so it's effectively privatising the public housing sector. That's exactly right, and the overwhelming majority of units will be privately owned units. And these are, you're right to go back over the background because not all listeners will have necessarily heard the background. Um, so it's nine to 12 housing estates. The reason for this figure of the number of housing estates being up for renewal or redevelopment is uh is a little bit rubbery is because there are two lists. There's a list of nine public housing estates um, that are up to be demolished. And then there's up to three other um, three-storey walk-up estates that are in between the high-rise estates that are also on a different list, which are also up to be demolished. And so what the government wants to do with these various estates is to hand the land and the estates over to private developers. In order to do that, they need to clear out and evict the tenants. Um, They hope uh, they can convince tenants to go um, willingly. Um, And then the developers will knock them down build um, apartment blocks many stories higher than the local planning schemes. Mm. Uh, but the majority, you know, three quarters of the units in most of the estates will be private dwellings with only, um, you know, this, uh, they, they've said that they will re- replace the raw number of the um public housing dwellings with a 10% increase, uh, but that 10% increase would vanish if they do actually open doors between flats to create Mm. bigger flats. Mm. And there's definitely no right of return when you look at these relocation agreements and a meeting between the community legal centres and the department. The department agreed that with the legal centres that these relocation agreements were misleading Mm. and they said that they'd withdraw them and produce new ones. So that's sort of an indication of problems. And then I think what the department's doing on the Grown Place estate, they've stopped employing a cleaner. And, you know, that might seem like a trivial thing, but Mm. it basically means they're now mountains of rubbish. And I think this is 
a deliberate attempt to demoralise tenants into signing relocation agreements. Mm. Um, and, you know, because people don't mind picking up a bit of someone else's rubbish, but people aren't going to pick up mountains of rubbish. Mm. And so I think I think West Brunswick is being un, unfairly targeted. Like, the tenants there seem to be coming under more pressure than some of the other estates to sign these relocation agreements. Mm. Where are they suggesting that people will relocate to? Well, as everyone knows, there's 35,000 or more people on the public housing waiting list. Mm. So people will be relocated into a range of public housing, community housing, association housing, and private rental accommodation. Right. Um, and we fear that people will fall out of public housing in this process. Yes. Uh, and there's all sorts of bullying. So I am aware of one case where a couple, um, where one is on a disability pension, the other person is working as a nurse. They were shown accommodation and they were sort of, I think they were shown private rental and the clear intention from the housing staff was that this couple didn't really deserve pr uh, public housing mm. because one of them was working. Wow. Um, there is another case of an elderly woman in her 80s at the Grand Place Estate where she said she wasn't going to sign a relocation agreement because she didn't want to go. Mm. Um, and she's in her 80s and the staff said to her, but you know, where will you live when they bulldoze the housing? Mm. So there's a level of bullying of people yeah. or soft bullying of people into signing these agreements, yeah. into making people fearful to sign. And what we're saying in the campaign is that if people really don't want to go, they should uh, delay signing or not sign mm. these relocation agreements uh, delay signing as long as possible to enable a campaign to build, to put the pressure on the state government. Uh, at the public meetings where I've heard uh, people speak um, on these estates, uh, the, the residents themselves are very angry and, and particularly articulate in many cases about putting their putting their position, but they're obviously, like all, like so many tenants, they're just, um, they've really got no power. Yeah, I think there's that, and there's a lack of experience with organising. Um, so there's been a certain level of organising, but I'm not sure that it's at the point where it can stop this program. Um, I think it is clear that a lot of the tenants do not want to leave their homes, mm. and it's also clear these are vibrant communities. And certainly on the West Brunswick estate... What you can see is vibrant communities with a, like little ecosystem communities where, you know, they're complicated arrangements mm. where people, you know, um, people know who they can borrow money from till their new start arrives and then, you know, like it's, recipro it's a reciprocal relationship, not a, mm. not, a, um, not a coercive relationship. So people have got you know, patterns of cooperation to survive 
um, a difficult system and, and survive poverty, mm. where they help each other out with lifts here and there, um, with food, with cooking, with, um, you know, borrowing money and money is returned and, you know, uh, reciprocal borrowing, etc. People get to know, you know, because this is long-term permanent tendencies and so people have got to know each other very well. They know who they can trust, who they can rely on, etc. Um, people, you know, share the childcare. People know who they can trust with their children, who they can't trust with their children. Sometimes it looks as if the children are unsupervised, but as one tenant said to me, there's a hundred eyes on the children making <laughs> sure that they're safe. Mm. You know, it, this is a, a community. And what the government is doing and this has really been both the current government plus previous governments, so mm. both Liberal and Labor are responsible, they're using the same tactic that the Howard government used with the Northern Territory intervention mm. by saying that public housing has failed, these are failed communities, full of social problems, etc. They're trying to convince progressive-minded people or fair-minded people that there's nothing left in public housing, that... There's nothing worth saving in public housing. Mm. So they're sort of wanting people to not really look at what's, you know, these real communities that do exist. They're wanting people to just accept what the government's doing without really inquiring into what the government's doing. And what the government is doing is they're not only destroying public housing, they're destroying real communities. So when those communities are dispersed, if we can't stop it, I'm hoping we can stop it. Um, that's why we all, we've organised a campaign. Mm. If you think about the impact of these communities being totally dispersed around the city, um, communities that are used to relying on each other, including some people who, um, you know, are single parents of five children... And, and might speak very little English and are very dependent on other members in their public housing community who, um, you know, help share with the childcare and, and, you know, where they cooperate to get through life and doctor's appointments and, you know, share the interpreting and, you know, the whole, you know, it's, it, this is a family. This is like an extended family on these estates. When you disrupt that, then it means a whole lot of social implications, which are not costed into any of the um, economists and treasury officials' dollars and cents calculations, mm. in the sense of people being socially isolated, um, mental health issues, um, a whole lot of issues from being isolated, in suburbs where people don't know anybody so in the uh, and immediate... may not have transport to um, maintain their connections with their friends who they regard as family. So in the immediate, what can our listeners do to uh, to help it? Is there an event coming up or something they can do to assist? Well, there is. Uh, well, firstly, Public Housing Defence Network, we don't have a website, but we've got a Facebook page. Um, we've... People should keep a lookout. Certainly, Green Left Weekly uh, is covering the campaign, and the Green Left Weekly activist calendar includes all of the Public Housing Defence Network um, events on its calendar. So that pe that's one way people can get information if you're not on Facebook. Um, 
And we, I think quite a few of the programs on 3CR interviewing people, mm. giving publicity to um, public meetings and so forth that are coming up. One of the things the campaign wants to do is organise a public meeting off the estates to try and involve people who aren't on the estates and issue so that we, we've we got a, um, a broader process for involving uh you know, for involving the broader community because you never know when you need public housing and when you're in that position of needing public housing, the public housing may have been sold off, whittled down uh, so much that it's no longer there for people. So everyone in society has got an interest in defending public housing um, and genuine public housing, not this uh, community housing mm-hmm. association Social model. housing, etc. Where but- pe- I believe in the last couple of days at a meeting, Foley, the minister said that he, ever since he was a, a worker on an estate, he just loves public housing and he's got great time for it. But he, he didn't add while it's still there, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but um, so just before you go, um, very briefly, um, you're running on a ticket in the um, in the northern uh, metropolitan region, um, a socialist ticket. Um, just a very quick update on that and what's going on. Well, this is a new and important development um, where uh, socialists from three different traditions have come uh, come together for a common uh, election ticket in the northern metropolitan region of Melbourne, which covers uh, 12 local government areas from... or 12 lower house seats and, and local government areas from uh, Richmond and Melbourne in the south uh, up to, um, you know, the Hume area and Euroki, uh district in the north and Thomastown, Mill Park, et cetera, in the north. Um, so this is quite a huge swathe going from inner urban to um, outer urban um, with, you know, a diverse range of issues. And I think it is a really important development because... You know, what we, we're seeing is a massive attack on our living standards in Australia, from low wages to, um, you know, holding down of um, welfare benefits so that people are in, you know, an increasing number of people in Australia in absolute destitution. And while that wouldn't be seen as a state issue, it's a, you know, federal issue, um, we've got state governments following in uh, very neoliberal footsteps where each, you know, federal, state governments, local councils interact with each other to um, tug the rest of the governments in a, in a further neoliberal direction. And I noticed that uh, Steve, Jolly, Steve Jolly, the um, socialist uh, councillor in Yarra, will head the ticket, your number two, and Colleen Bolger from Socialist Alternative, she's a young lawyer, she was, I don't know how long she is, yes, she is young, um, is on the ticket as well. So um, I guess we'll be keeping up with it. It's called the Victorian Socialist, is that the case? That's right, Victorian Socialist. And, uh, well, gives ch- people in that area anyway a chance to uh, to vote for somebody worth voting for. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> that's a rarity in this society. <laughs> look, Shane McGrath's in the studio from Housing with Age. Actually, we better get on to him. So, um, look, Sue, thanks for your time. You can start up that engine again and take off. No worries. <laughs> thanks, Shane. Okay. Thanks, Sue, though, for thanks. your time this morning, Radio. Thanks a lot. Bye. Sue um, Bolton there, who's the... Yeah, 
Um, she's the Socialist Alliance councillor in Moreland. And uh, Shane, you've wanted him. We won't take a break because the time's getting on. But a few things you wanted to talk about this morning. You're, so well, Shane, but let's just... He's from the Housing Age Act. Did I say that? Housing for the Age Action Group. Yeah, I hear from Housing for the Age Action Group. Uh, I guess I thought I might pick up a couple of themes that came across in what Sue was just saying. You know, she was talking about the, the great community that develops around public housing estates. Um, last week, I think, or maybe the week before, the state government announced this year's Molly Hadfield Award winner. Um, now, Molly Hadfield was a founding member of HAG and we're very... You know, proud of, of her memory and one and of the great activists of our society for many yeah. years. Yeah, um, the values that she instilled in the organisation, and now uh, one way that she's recognised is through this award that that honours outstanding services to older tenants. Um, and that was awarded this year to the food bank volunteers at um, the Barclay Street uh, development in Brunswick. Um, it's fifteen older retired public housing residents who are putting together food parcels for eighty to one hundred people or eighty to one hundred households every week. Um, which I think is pretty amazing. The um, on the and that was I think the event that you were alluding to, where Martin Foley was saying such right. great things about his commitment to public housing. Yeah. Mm. Um, on the other hand, Sue also mentioned social housing providers, and Hag seen again this week an example of why it's it's not okay uh, for the government to be handing over public housing to social housing providers. Um, a number of our clients went for interviews with a social housing provider. Um, that had a had a vacancy or maybe some vacancies, and as you know, the the way that public housing's always worked is that you go onto a waiting list. The waiting list is its own problem, but once you get to the top of the waiting list, they just offer you the place. You know, you don't have to qualify, you don't have to to you know prove that you're an adequate person or anything like that. You just get to the front of the line; and it's your turn. Um, but social housing providers don't do that. You you get to the front of their queue in in whatever erratic. Uh, idiosyncratic way they might let you come to the front of their queue mm. and then they interview a bunch of people and they decide who they like uh, and that obviously tends to disadvantage the most already disadvantaged people in the community um, we see them refusing to take people on new start for example because their subsidized rent isn't as much as a mm. pension is subsidized rent mm. um, in this case they're interviewing people in a way that was it was quite actually quite distressing for a lot of our, our clients who were there um, asking elderly women if they were planning on having any more children um, asking people about their drug and alcohol intake, but also mm. uh, are they comfortable living around people with, with a drug and alcohol intake? So oh on the one hand, trying to exclude drug users. On the other hand, just saying, but you're going to have to be okay oh. with the drug users around you. Oh, my um, God. So just a, it just seems like a crazy process. Um, and again, it, what's worked so well in public housing is to say when you get to the front of the list, it's your turn. It's housing for everyone. It's housing for mm. who needs it. Mm. Um, and the, the sort of picking and choosing you know, often by young and well-meaning social workers is not, in my view, the, the greatest way. And given that it's now a common list and so the social mm. housing sector, which is private effectively, um, uses the same list as the public housing sector, if, if, pub, if private, if, say, social housing doesn't offer because they don't think the person's suitable, does that person go down the list? Well, how, they, yeah, how is that going to work? I, I, don't, to... I don't know. I don't know if anyone really knows how that's going to work out. Yeah. Pretty bad, and there's there actually um, we've got a note, but I know you want to talk about it as well. There's a there's a protest at um, Holly's office coming up, is there? Not? Yeah, so I mean, as people probably know, there's plenty of public housing activism to get involved in at the moment. Um, uh, Hag's been involved in a group called Hands Off Public Housing, uh, and they're going to be holding a little rally outside Martin Foley's office. I hope it's a big rally. Oh, sorry, <laughs> an enormous rally. <laughs> a huge rally. That's right. We're closing down some streets for this one. Uh, that's the the second of March uh, at 11 a.m. So I think the second. 
is it Friday? Uh, it is. It's 11 a.m. March yeah. to yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and that's at 46 Rouse Street, Port Melbourne, uh, which is Martin Foley's office. Yeah, 46 um, Rouse Street. We'll give that date again, but it's it's um. It's March to 11 a.m. and um, 46 Rail Street, Martin Foley. We had a protest outside the one of the earlier members for Albert Park when we were fighting the closure of the St Kilda Port Melbourne rail lines. Oh yeah. Um, the then member, who was an ex-Warfie, who was so proud of himself having made it to a member of Parliament, we actually was a good idea. It wasn't my idea, but people they had individual forms for a petition, so it wasn't just people filling in. You know, 80 names on one sheet or something Um, and they were strung together and wrapped around his office (laughs) Um, but here was this working class bloke in his working class area so so taken aback by his constituency coming to wrap wrap around his office he fled out the back door the back window and ran down the back lane and disappeared well I don't know if we'll produce that result (laughs) on the second but we can hope so there you are but um, if I can just plug in at something else we've also got one of um, HAG's having a general meeting tomorrow so if anyone's interested um, in getting involved or learning more about what the organisation's doing including public housing campaigning um, and housing support for older people and a, a whole range of things. That's at Ross House, which is 247 to 251 Flinders Lane, uh, just close to Flinders Street Station in the city. Mm. And that'll be from 11 to 1. Um, we'll have some lunch for you. Uh, so uh, it'd be great if you could give us a call on RSVP so we know so how So what time people. is lunch? People can just come for lunch and miss the meeting. <laughs> yeah. I just sit up, sit up the back on your mobile phone and wait for lunch time to come around. Um, but yeah, so that's from 11 to 1. Um, and lunchtime is 12 if you want to, if you want to skip this off. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Righty-ho. And you're in, of course, you're in, you're in Flinders Lane. You're at Ross House. Yeah, uh, it's 247 to 251 yeah, Flinders Lane. It's a building that houses so many community groups. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just on, anything else you wanted to say before we go? I, oh, well, I've, always, I've always got plenty to say, <laughs> but if you've got some questions, maybe we no, should well, do that. I, I was just interested in the fact, not just is public housing being lost, but... Um, we know that the bloody... I've never seen the show other than promos for it, so you know what it's about. But that <laughs> dreadful block program, I think uh-huh. it's called The Block on Channel 9, yeah. has taken over um, the, the Gatwick. Gatwick. And, um, you know, they're complaining about the fact that there's needles and it's filthy and they've got to clean it up and make it safe because they believe in safety, etc. And the whole story is about the, you know, the terrible people who live there and the... Because um, the, it, was, it was one of the most run-down... Um, infamous rooming infamous houses in Melbourne. Melbourne but it provided homes for those people mm. which mm. was important now it's going to be turned into an up, totally upmarket um, thing on the block and sell for millions presumably uh, but nowhere in this story about how terrible the people were and how they had to clean up and isn't it awful do they say what's happened to the people who live there does anyone know I mean, uh, well there was I mean there were services involved in rehousing them but it's just such a disgusting dynamic isn't it it's yeah. like you know turning Pentridge into yuppie apartments yeah. just to to let the the wealthy live off the the memory of of like mm. grungy poverty, life yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and indulge mm. their little fantasies of, of edginess so yeah I, I um wrote a poem many years ago actually I was doing a when I was working for Murdoch I was also doing a a moonlight job editing some glossy Melbourne tourist magazine. Oh, yeah. And I was supposed to be interviewing someone and I met them up at what used to be Gordon House that had been turned into this trendy trendy mm-hmm. retail sector, etc. And I was sitting there having a cup of tea or coffee waiting for the person. I looked around and I actually wrote the poem on a, on a, on a serviette, um, mm-hmm. paper serviette, because <laughs> it, the, the, the same theme that, you know, here's all the trendies of Melbourne having a lovely time on where the misery was, on the misery of other people yeah. and... Uh, because the Gordon House was a home for 
uh, mostly right. old, mostly older blokes, etc. Drinks. And I'm still trying to just recalibrate for uh, thinking of you now as a poet. That's <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was you doing your work. <laughs> well, yeah. it was a poem in my style. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just so. I mean, it's just so outrageous. They, you know, they appro- they brought this, they bought this building to use for their reality TV show because they knew there was publicity in it, uh, without concern for the people who live there. And now they're they're complaining at, at their supposed horror to find that there's actually uh, mm. that actually poor people expecting? live there. Yeah. Yes, isn't it terrible? I have a bit of a uh, question just to put out there. Is you know this um, nine to twelve estates being like pulled down and and remade, but just you know quietly, secretly being remade in a totally totally different format that isn't really inclusive. This this housing has been there for decades. Why? Do you think now it's like this momentum about oh it's not um, okay? Is it actually not okay? Or you know? Well, I mean, it's been. I mean, there's been systematic lack of investment in public housing for decades that has resulted in in buildings running down, at least some of them. Yeah. But I mean, why now? They've been. Tr- I mean, it's not now. It's something it's they've like, been trying to do yeah. for for decades, right? right. Like mm. successive governments actively uh, di- kind of divesting their their commitment to public housing until they finally, right. you know, felt like they were at a point where they could actually get rid of it. Mm. And, I mean, yes, it's maintenance and improvements that are needed. And, mm. you know, if, if there are problems in public housing, then they need to be addressed. But it doesn't mean you abandon public housing because there are problems. And we're not saying that there are, probably are some problems, but it's yeah. it's over-exaggerated by those who want to get rid of it, of course. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, if you want a good public housing system, the thing to do is not to privatise these buildings. Mm. Or, or maybe that's part of it. But the real thing to do is to build tens of thousands of new houses that, mm. that are urgently needed. Mm. Without that, like tinkering around at the edges to just hand off some some public resources to private developers is mm. i mean that that is what it is it's not about public housing mm. Mm. and it uh, the public housing issue you know if people are being pushed out into the private rental market mm. and there's such a lack of access just in that area mm. and the cost is so high mm. and apparently there's huge amounts of empty houses everywhere yeah i think that's true like and i mean we can walk around and see them like, yeah, but yeah. I mean, it's also, you know, like it's also the government money that, that's subsidising the private rental market. Like a hundred, basically 100% of rent assistance goes to landlords, right? 100% mm. of that money. Mm. And nobody talks about landlords being dole bludgers, but they're receiving 100% of this, this <laughs> benefit. Yeah. The, um, you know, the, there's all kinds of services that are set up to, to basically funnel public money towards moving people into private rental. And that's yeah. a subsidy to landlords. Yeah. It, it increases the, the, the cost at the lowest level. Mm. It drives up costs. It, it's not providing long-term, secure, affordable housing for people. Mm. It's just an a absolute schmuzzle. Well, there are you know, those probably billions of dollars, in fact, of public money across the country, um, federal and state, being spent on housing. But none of it's being spent on just what the, the most basic and the most obvious solution, which is to build just build more public housing. It's all using the private sector in some well, way, uh, uh, which cannot work to uh, reduce costs, surely. I mean, I think it's pretty well established that the, by far the bulk of government subsidies for housing go to property investors, uh, mm. negative gearing, capital gains discounts, things like that. They, this is where the real government money in housing is. Mm. Mm. And a similar thing. Um, oh, I wanted to raise one thing. Something Sue said about the community. Yeah. Um, and coming from the Housing with Age Action Group, we've mentioned it before, but 
particularly for older people who've lived there for years and years, if they're relocated and particularly out of the area, mm. it's mm. it's incredibly damaging to them psychologically and physically, I would think. Yeah, I mean, pra- not just socially and, and sort of personally, but practically, you know, often they're linked in with services there and the amount of work that it takes just to, to re-establish connections with, you know, health services in particular can be can be crazy. Mm. The um, But yeah. And this is not, I mean, they're going in there and they're like, oh, you can sign this contract or you can just sit here while we demolish everything around you. Like you can't be like, it's not like it's a single house. Mm. You can stay in your house while the rest of the houses Mm. get, you know, gotten rid of like it's an apartment block. So that's, Mm. that's not an optional thing, is it? Like, it's like sign the thing or, or, or we'll make you leave. Yeah, well, I mean, you've seen that happening in Sydney around Sirius and some of the other inner city public housing where people have been driven out. Mm. Uh, I think that the Sirius building is empty now, which is pretty tragic. Better explain to people, Sirius is one of the buildings saved by the Green Bands mm. and Jack Mundy. It's on the rocks. It's um, right on the harbour. And it's an it's um, amazing piece of architecture. Yeah. It has heritage value. It's and been the, the home to many people for The city for of Sydney now is trying to give it to a private developer saying build affordable housing. But, of course, what's affordable housing? Again, that's... Um, is everyone's guess of what's affordable. Mm. But again, it's it's public housing that's going to end up in the hands of the private sector again unless it can mm. be stopped. There is a campaign to stop yeah. it, but uh, that's mm. where it's at, yeah. Mm. Yeah, but that's well, yeah, that's a good... I mean, the, and then the rocks are above the rocks there at Miller's Point. Um, mm. You know, again, public housing that was saved by the Greens bands now being handed over pretty... You know, pretty extensively to the private sector, yeah. and the argument is that gives us more money to build public housing. But for God's sake, it is public housing. Mm. Yeah. It's just ridiculous, well, it, and it's in a perfect the, I mean, location. But, but you can see they're not using that money to build public housing. If they were using <laughs> yeah. public housing, we'd all be excited about how much new public <laughs> yeah. housing there was. You're too big a cynic. That's the problem with you. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen. Um, I want to raise this too because it's sort of it's related to it. Um, you could look away, but then nothing will ever change. It's a photo of a kid looking depressed, and she's a young girl. She's in poverty, mm-hmm. um, and if you can help her by helping the Smith family help her. And it says, "Help end poverty one student at a time." And I thought, if you did, if you ended poverty, if you look around the world in particular, one student at a time it would take about eight hundred and thirty years. <laughs> Uh, would it not? Um, oh. Rather than address what causes the poverty. Just imagining you sitting at home on the weekend, like just doing the maths on it. Just like, okay, one student yeah. every. <laughs> I didn't spend a lot of time on the maths. So I did take a stab, but I reckon eight thirty would cover it. Okay. Uh, but uh, that's of course depending the Earth surviving. Um, but um, it's a ridiculous concept. I mean, and again, there's a similar thing from the from Vinnie's back to school appeal, and you know, kids in poverty and need all this stuff. But, but again. You've got to address what causes the bloody problem rather than um, rather than say, let's help one kid at a time, for God's sake. Yeah, but it seems like the drive is in the other direction. I mean, especially with the, the federal government kind of trying to effectively gag uh, organisations that, that work at the grassroots to, to prevent them from advocating for policy change mm. and advocating mm. for systemic change. Mm. What they want is for everything to be as individualised as possible. Mm. Yeah. People like succeed or fail on their own individual merit and it's not – there's no system – that's like marginalising people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's right. I mean, you're right because the the, was it the coal lobby uh, gave and, and, and the Minerals Council between them gave seven times more in the last election to uh, their cause than GetUp, which gets attacked for giving yeah. money. Mm. Um, but similarly, recently, 350.org is being investigated because, as we know, they've put that Graham, that John bloke in charge of the Charities Commission 
and he's totally opposed to um, to groups like Hag or any other group that gets concessions taking political action. Uh, and they're being investigated by them because they were part of a blockade of coal loading at New Newcastle um, a couple of years ago. So, you know, the, the camp, any action by government is against those who are trying to do something about it. Well, I mean, just like the train drivers in New South Wales so recently, collective yeah. action is, is more and more restricted. Yeah. Mm. Th- those rights are taken away. I mean, what else can you do except chuck your, your two bucks a week to the Smith family mm. to save one kid? Mm. Yeah. Well, that, that's, but, the, that's the world they want. And that train decision, the, the, news, the yard the bus, rail, bus and tram decision, um, that effectively means you really can't have a strike on anything. Well, yeah. Because that, that's right. If that's the public's the affected that's, by a that's, strike, that's the which is why you have it in the, the first Labor place. the Party brought in. Yeah. I mean, you, you have a strike to affect the public, and if it affects the public, you can't have a strike according to that ruling. So it's, uh, it's well, a yeah. bit difficult, isn't and it? And, I mean, it's frustrating <laughs> because the union campaign is to try and elect the Labor Party so they'll, they'll give us better laws, but they, mm. they produced these laws in the first place, mm. the... The fantasy that Labor's going to save us is just yeah. so frustrating. I don't know if you were there, but that big, big rally, the Work Choices Rally at Mel- at um, MCG, mm-hmm. where Kim Beasley was still one day to go as leader of the Labor Party, I think, at the time. Uh, but the end result was the ACT unfurled a banner about voting Labor, and we, yeah. you know, hundreds of thousands, there were lots of people there. MCG was packed. Yeah. Um, and the thing was go home and vote Labor. I mean, Jesus, everyone was just so. So disillusioned yeah. by that. Mm. Yeah, no yeah. wonder people are disillusioned with politics because this undermines democracy if, if you don't have a, a, a mm. free right to protest and to, like, you know, c- form collectively and have your voice heard. Like, that's yeah. the principles mm. of democracy. So every government should be upholding that. But if you're a boss, you can lock out your workers for a couple of hundred days. Yeah, Glencore does mm. a good job of it. Yeah, that's right. And... Um, yeah, so well, we're cheering people up now. Yeah. <laughs> As usual. Yeah. Well, come to the general meeting at Hag tomorrow. It'll be, there'll be some positive stories there. Um, I can I just say very quickly, I did get a to get a compensa- a check for compensation of nine hundred and forty dollars for a retirement village resident the other day. Oh, not not often I get to personally yeah. hand over the compensation, so Brilliant. we do get some good results sometimes. Well, yeah. Abio's been complaining that its uh, profits went down this year. Only, you know, we still made over a billion dollars or something. Well, my, but, my solution but, to the public housing problem is to nationalise the retirement village industry. So it's a criminal industry that's built around exploiting older people. They, they face mm. no serious consequences. Let's just take their housing off them and run it properly. <laughs> yes, brilliant. That's, uh, that's not a hag that. policy, by the way. <laughs> this is a personal right. policy. You, you'll, yeah. get, you'll get no opposition to that here. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can get Shane on another time just to talk about ret- your plan for retirement. Yeah. Retirement. And yeah. without compensation, we would have. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, that's a damn good idea. Um, on your point about rent earlier, I've got some cuttings here. I can't find them. But there was one developer who's said if they want to develop rent or accommodation for it so it's affordable for people and they were talking of you know five hundred six hundred dollars a week rent as being affordable for god's sake that's inc- that's crazy and that was their idea of affordability yeah i mean often it's benchmarked at 80 percent of market rent but when the market's out of control 80 yeah. percent of market rent is, is just high. as out of control mm. yeah oh well that's very good that's very good we've just cheered people up absolutely no end here today and hmm. um uh, the other one i just can, well, on the same theme, there's also been a lot of articles recently where even families that are you know, getting reasonable incomes mm-hmm. are being forced to cut back on food and grocery and even parents missing meals, etc., to get mm-hmm. kids go to school or kids eat. I mean, clearly poverty is a growing thing in our society rather than the reverse, while at the same time as we see record profits being announced by the great corporates. Yeah. 
That's right. Got, I mean, I suppose I just answered my own question, but could you just say something more than yep? I don't know. I mean, what, what can you say about it? I feel like that, that sums up everything that we're talking about. There's growing inequality. There's less rights for, for workers and for, for ordinary people to, to protest that. Uh, and more and more drive to individualise results, which just produces more and more systemic poverty. Yeah. You must hate coming in here with all these probing questions, so sure. <laughs> <laughs> Just a chance to <laughs> say whatever's on your mind. <laughs> anyway, with, today we discovered Hag policy is to uh, privatise, <laughs> take over, nationalise all nursing homes, all aged care facilities. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's a bloody good idea. <laughs> yeah. If you can work out how all to do housing. it, we'd love to hear it. Yeah. 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 All right. Look, we're going to have to wind up, but uh, let's res- let's just reiterate: we'll do it again next week in the week. Uh, we've only got one more week to do it, actually. Uh, no, two weeks. We get yes, no, maybe one week. Um, only one week. Yeah. Forty-six Rail Street, Port Melbourne. Forty-six. That's the Martin Foley office, and eleven a.m. March the second. It's a Friday, and we do urge people to get there and um, and let him know what we think. And we need more public housing. Here's a man who says he's got a commitment to it. Well, he's plugging it off. Mm, classic well, that's move. some kind of commitment, isn't yep. it? Yes. <laughs> Got a commitment to getting rid of it. <laughs> I can see Andy waiting outside the oh, door. Okay. Yeah, we better yeah. go. It's 9.59. Mm. It's caught up with us. Shuan, thanks right. for coming Th- in. Thanks very much for having me. And thanks, look, Shane. seeing you're the guest, thank, um, thank Meg for doing a great job. Oh, thanks, Meg. My pleasure.